Friends, if you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to be looking at the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And I'll be reading that in a moment, but I'm, I'm very curious, and I'm not going to have anybody stand up and tell us who it was, but did you think of a difficult situation during that moment of silence? And, and, and did you think of a difficult person in your life? Maybe somebody in your life even now that's difficult? And what I mean by difficult is I mean somebody that just rubs you the wrong way. Somebody that gets on your last nerve. And you may not have to think too far back because maybe you had that experience when you were visiting the extended family. And that uncle or that aunt or that cousin just kind of just did it for you. And so we're going to be looking at that. What, what, is, what do you do when you have difficult people and difficulties in your life? You see, I, my... Uh, one of the persons I thought about was I uh, there was a I was on the soccer team in high school and I was a fullback uh, Don in case you're wondering I was a defensive man and uh, there was a girl that just got on my last nerve she uh, would oftentimes make fun of me she would yell at me primarily uh, she'd sometimes embarrass me in front of the team she would threaten me with pain and sometimes she would cause pain. I know you're, you're laughing at my pain. I, that's okay. Yeah, this girl, I just, I just couldn't get rid of her, you know. And uh, she'd challenge me, and she would just constantly be standing over me, just saying, you know, saying all these horrible things to me. And, uh, it, you know, it, it, it could break me and, uh, at various times. And so that's who I have in my mind as somebody who's difficult. Maybe you've had somebody like that who is... Uh, threatening you or threatening you with great pain or, you know, who who knows. Um, But I think that this short little excerpt from 1 Corinthians will have a lot to say about how you view that particular difficult person. And so let me give you a little background first before we hop into 1 Corinthians. Um, This Corinthian situation, we looked at a pit, we're in the, the season of epiphany right now. And I've, and I've been at pains to show that this is what happens when the light shines in Jerusalem and then it goes out to the coastlands and then Jews and Gentiles are both gathered into the people of God. So we, we heard about the wise men that came from the east, these Gentiles that came probably from Babylon. And they came to worship this Messiah. And then we heard last week about the conversion of Cornelius, this Roman centurion, this Gentile in Acts chapter 10. And so then there's, and and I mentioned too, in in Acts chapter 15, there's a great Jerusalem council because all of a sudden the Holy Spirit falls upon all of these Gentiles and the the Jews who were Christians who followed Jesus, they didn't know what to do with this. And so they call this Jerusalem council in Acts 15, uh, which took place around 49 AD. I wanted to try to get get your bearings. Um, This council took place and they said, you know what, we can't withhold telling other Gentiles about God about Jesus coming. And so they concluded from Peter's testimony what happened with Cornelius. They said, who are we? Who are we? we uh, it's obvious that God is including Gentiles in this great cosmic, um, this cosmic redemption of Jews and Gentiles. So, so they anoint and they bless and say, Peter, uh, I mean, sorry, Paul and Barnabas, we want you all to go out. We want you to go to the coastlands that we hear about in Isaiah, and we want you to tell the coastlands about this Messiah. And so Paul and Barnabas set out on that journey. Acts 16, 
we hear of this, this man who shows up in, in, Paul's, in, in a vision to Paul and he says, come to Macedonia. Macedonia is the far reaches of the Roman Empire. And he says, come to Macedonia. We need your help. And so he goes to Macedonia. And then we see in Acts chapter 18 where this happens, where the Corinthian church is established. And this is established around 51. So it's about a year, or I'm sorry, two years after the Jerusalem Council. So he goes out and he, and he ends up in Corinth, this, this port city in, uh, in uh, Macedonian area of the Roman Empire. And Paul stays there for a year and a half teaching them. And you can read again in Acts 18 that whole, how that, all that plays out. And we're gonna, we'd actually read about Sosthenes who was beat up um, and he becomes one of Paul's companions here. And so Paul stays there for a year and a half. So he didn't just show up, do some kind of evangelistic outreach and then leave. He stayed there and he labored with them, showing them how this Messiah had come to redeem all people from their sin. And so it's in this letter that we see so much that is wrong in the Corinthian church. In fact, one commentator said this, that Corinth, the city of Corinth, was like, was like New York City, Los Angeles, and Las Vegas all wrapped up into one. It was a very affluent city, and it was a very licentious city. And we see in this particular letter, 1 Corinthians, even more so than 2 Corinthians, you see that all of this infighting was, was still going on. That they had the Spirit of God, but there was, there was dissension, there was, there was pride, there was posturing between one and another within the church. And you can better believe that that still happens today, doesn't it? So what had happened with the Corinthians is they were, instead of affecting change in their culture, they had imbibed their culture. And their, their church really just reflected what the culture around them looked like. They weren't that much different. And so Paul wants to remind them of who they are and who they belong to. And so he writes this letter to them. And I think Paul responds in a way to difficult people, to difficult situations in a way that's emutable. And so let's let's look at how Paul responds in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. One thing I want to highlight is that the Corinthians had received the power of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, which was exhibited in physical manifestations. So we hear about these spiritual gifts and these physical manifestations were really just a, a result of this ultimate spiritual gift that they had gotten in the person of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit had anointed them and then they did these miraculous things, whether it be speaking in tongues or prophecy, words of knowledge gifts of healings, these all stemmed from the gift of the Holy Spirit himself. 
And this is the key to understanding what spiritual gifts are. They are the overflow of having the Spirit of God anoint you as a child of God. But before I get into, I got five points, by the way, and they're brief points. Um, so I saw some of you, five? Oh, no. <laughs> no, there are five brief points that I think that are a really good way that helps us know how we are to respond, not if, but when difficulties come. I want to simply highlight the fact that the power of the Holy Spirit in amazing and awesome displays at Pentecost, that same Holy Spirit is still present with these folks. You shouldn't say, oh, well, they didn't really have the Spirit, right? Because they were acting crazy. Paul, Paul makes it very clear that the miraculous spiritual gifts that we often hear about, that, that they are being blessed by and they're strengthened by for the upbuilding of the church, that those, those same gifts are, are, are possible for the, for the actual rigmarole, the day-to-day living in our relationship with one another as a community of believers, This is why Paul is so adamant to show that the frustrations the Corinthians were experiencing as a church, the frustrations that you and I feel when we encounter quote-unquote difficult people, these these frustrations stem from a failure that you and I have to be filled with the power of the Spirit. I'm not going to get into all the details of that, but I will say this. When we get upset with other people and when we're given to criticize other people, if you find that your default is to criticize someone else for what they did or did not do, if that's your default, then you are not being filled with the Spirit. You've been anointed by the Spirit. You've been given the Spirit of God, but but He is not living His life through you. And that's a very dangerous place to be. So when you get frustrated and get angry, I want you to do this simple task. Is ask the question, why? Why are you criticizing that person? Why are you angry with that person? Why are you just so disappointed in that situation? And I think Paul has a very good way for how we are to fight that. And Paul shows us how to do that. So for those who have ears to hear, let them hear. First of all, what does Paul do? Verse 4, he gives thanks for difficult people. He gives thanks for difficult people. Look at verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for what? For you. <laughs> the Corinthians were not a group of people who are like eager and bouncing at every word that Paul said. In fact, they are fighting against Paul and they're saying Paul's not even a real apostle. You read about what he, how he feels about this, this very letter that he's writing in his second letter that we have, which is actually his third letter, but in 2 Corinthians Chapter 2, he says, For I wrote you, speaking about 1 Corinthians, For I wrote you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears. So as he's writing this letter, he is crying. Not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Paul, Paul knew that his relationship with God, hear this, his relationship with God was bound up in the people of God. And so he was anguished in heart with much affliction. So as we read this, you should see tears on the page. This is hurting him to write this letter. No less, though, he gives thanks for those difficult people. I give thanks to God for you. You see, so much of the dissension that we have in churches today is because we have a problem with discounting 
the, the need for community in our lives. And I thank God that, that's, that, that each one of us, I mean, as we've locked arms as a church, that that's one of our core values is community. So I know that at a base level, all of us agree with that, which is wonderful. But the way it works itself out a lot of times in, in my own life and, and perhaps in your life is that we discount how much community shapes us. And you can get it anytime. If you, you know, in fact, um, if you go to any place and they speak with an accent, you kind of start picking it up. Right? You start picking up mannerisms of people that you live around because community will always shape you in good ways and in bad ways. See, when we forget this, when we forget that the call for us is to be changed and not to think that we should change others, that, that's the problem. Is that when we go to community a lot of times, when we interact with other people, we think that my job is to change them as opposed to going to church so that I would be changed from the inside. We come to church to be changed and we are engaged in church to be changed. One of the things I told the the group yesterday in the membership class is please don't treat church like a shopping mall to where you go to receive goods and services from the church with no engagement. And that's one of the things I fear is that a lot of times we are reflecting the culture around us rather than being the ones who are affecting change in our culture. And you see it by this rampant consumerism within the church. I'm talking about the big C church. Instead of going to church to say, I want to engage myself with the Holy Spirit and I want to go to upbuild others. I want to pour myself out to others. See, it could be a very beautiful picture. And too many times churches can look and sound and smell the same way because everybody looks the same. But what a beautiful place it could be when we can actually learn to appreciate and learn to highlight and elevate our differences and say, yeah, you know what? They like to watch this show. They like to watch this show. They, they voted for this person. They voted for this person. But there's one king overall. That could be a really beautiful picture if we had eyes to see that the community of faith will always affect us, will change us if we're engaged with it. See, true growth in the spirit happens when we, like Paul, are able to see people with a heart of gratitude. That's where the shift happens. And so our second point is, how does that shift happen? I think our answer is here, is that Paul gives thanks. This is point number two. Paul gives thanks for sinners saved by grace. The reason that Paul can thank God for sinners is because he's got a different set of lenses around his eyes. This is, I remember when someone pointed this out to me uh, several years ago. said, how in the world can Paul thank God for these folks? It's because he's looking at them with different lenses, not just as a mere obstacle to his, to his agenda. But he's looking at them in such a way that they have... He has gospel lenses on his eyes. He's able to thank God for difficult people because he sees them through that lens. So instead of looking at people just as they are, look at them of who God sees them as sinners saved by grace. Look, because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That's the ground of it. He says, I thank God because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. And that's the second half of verse four. See, it's not simply about my spiritual growth, but the way we view the world has to be colored by relishing the fact that God saves sinners because of his grace alone. We have to come to that place. 
And unless we embrace what God has done for us, this is a very key point too, people will remain a roadblock to our enjoyment of God. It's through people that we know and experience more of God. What is more, when people offend you, we can view people through a lens of the gospel of grace towards them. And Paul is able to look at the Corinthians and see that beauty because he's trained himself to look at people that way. Whereas you could have seen people as a hindrance to your spiritual growth, Paul is able to see this as part of his journey towards glory. Because Paul has first come to grips with his own sinfulness. Remember, he calls himself a chief of sinners. And it's only until you and I really reckon with the fact that you have offended God. I rebel against God. That I can then understand and thank God that he puts up with me. And he puts up with you. And over time, that gospel lens begins to make things a little brighter and a little clearer in our own lives. And we begin to then thank God. We don't just thank God like, all right, I'm supposed to thank God. Matt said I'm supposed to thank God because Paul did. No, you thank God because you see them through the gospel. You see them through through the fact that they are a sinner saved by grace. That you, even more so, are a sinner saved by grace. Every single thought that you have that you don't think anybody knows about, God does. And that can be very freeing. Because then you don't have to hide. You don't have to put up, put on airs and pretentiousness to pretend like you have it together. But when you are gripped by the fact that, yes, I, I've sinned. I'm so sorry. Let's move on. Because that's been covered. Let's move on towards glory. Let's move on towards greater things. These, these greater things that Paul says he has for them. He says, I have, I have great expectations for you because I know who you belong to. And I know that he who began a good work in you will not, will not, will not stop. Until he's done with you. And so right now you may be very frustrated and frustrating to other people. Because I can promise you that you think there are difficult people. You're somebody else's difficult person. I promise. I promise. And and the sooner we grasp that, the sooner that we realize that, you know what, I I can be a jerk. I can be self-centered. I can say, oh, I'm just having a bad day. Give me my coffee, shut up, and leave. That's the problem, is that we give everybody else this, this, level, this level of judgment that we don't expect for ourselves. So when somebody cuts us off on the road, what do we do? A jerk. But if we cut off somebody, well, I didn't see you, sorry. Maybe they didn't see you either. You know? Let's give people immeasurable amounts of grace. Because you, my friend, have been given grace. I have received grace. And when we come to terms with that, then we can say, I thank my God for you, Corinthians. I'm crying here. I'm broken because you guys don't even like me. And I'm broken up over here, but I know what? I'm thanking God for you because of the grace that God's given you. He's given you grace, and God loves you. And I am learning to love you. But we have to first be gripped by that and see not only other people through a gospel lens... But we have to see ourselves through that same gospel lens. And I, and I think sometimes that we can say, oh, I moved past that. I remember when I became a Christian. And now I'm on to other things. No, no, no. Every single day to remind yourself that you wake up by the grace of God. You go to sleep by the grace of God. And you go to work by the grace of God. That God, you, you are swimming in an ocean of God's grace. And so thirdly. How does, Paul, Paul, how does Paul inform us how we should deal with difficulties and difficult people? Thirdly, we are to give thanks 
for God's complete, not lacking anything gifts. Let me say it again. Give thanks for God's complete, not lacking anything gifts. That's all hyphenated, not lacking anything gifts. Because those, are, those gifts are not lacking anything. That's the adjective. And that's in verses 5 and 7. I want you to notice the totality of how much God has given the church. Again, don't, don't forget that this is the Corinthian church that was reflecting a lot of the culture. Like Las Vegas and Los Angeles and New York City all wrapped up into one nice package. What does he say? He says, in every way, all speech, all knowledge that you have. They, they didn't have to earn. This is, this is pretty flabbergasting. They did not have to earn more of the spirit in their life. God had poured out the spirit immeasurably in their lives. All speech. Every single way. This, this all-encompassing nature of what God has done. He didn't, he didn't shower and anoint them with the spirit, but then say, oh, well, we're, we'll take care of that later. No, he covered them with his spirit. He didn't have to earn more of it. And when you and I submit our lives to Christ and declare him as Lord of our lives, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, brothers and sisters, has also given you that same power. Now, we'll get into the question of, well, why are they having so many struggles? We'll get into that in the next five chapters. But right now, you have to start from here, right? Well, there, there are issues, just like there are issues in our lives, too. It's like, well, if all these things are true, Matt, why in the world are they having so many issues? Well, we're going to look at that, so you're going to have to come back next week and the week after and the week after that, too. Because that's, it's going to be laid out over the next two chapters. But you have to start here is that the Spirit is poured out abundantly. God is not stingy with his gifts. God is not stingy with his spirit. And so it ought to be in our interactions with other people. That we aren't stingy. That we aren't saying, well, let me let me wait till you prove. Let me wait till you are nice. No, to love people. And that doesn't mean you have to just be foolish about it either. Right? I can't say everything that I'd, I'd like to say about it, but that doesn't mean that you just say, okay, yeah, whatever. No, you... You are still loving towards someone that you sometimes need to be thoughtful in how you engage with them, but you are still not stingy towards them and showing them grace and looking at them through a gospel lens. I want you to note the relationship between gifts being exhibited in our lives and looking to the day of Christ's return. Do you see that here in um, verse 7? So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the Corinthians... We're experiencing all of these miraculous gifts. They were experiencing this incredible unction by the Spirit of God. And there, was these, there were these manifestations of the gifts that he talks about in, in chapters 12 through 14. And they had thought that they had gotten to the pinnacle of the Christian experience. They're like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. We're, we're spiritual, y'all are fleshly, y'all don't get it. Look at us, look at what we've got. And so they thought that they were up here. And what does Paul say? He says, no, 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 no. <laughs> as surely as amazing as it is, he reminds them, just as he reminds them in chapter 13, that all of these spiritual gifts were meant for the here and now to build up and to look forward to the final day. When Jesus returns, that these gifts are amazing, but they are meant to serve a greater purpose. When God will be in the midst of his people in full measure. And so these are all pointers to a greater reality. 
And so that's the point of the spiritual gifts that they're experiencing, the spiritual gifts in our own lives, is that they are intended to point to the day when we will be with God forever and always. And so, so Paul is saying, don't forget that. <laughs> don't forget that you've been given all these things, and as you are still waiting... You see through a, da- a glass darkly. You're waiting for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. But what I think that we can suffer from today in our particular culture, and I fear this, is that there is a stagnancy in our spiritual vitality because we really don't expect that much from God. We look at the Corinthians and we say, wow, they're, they're pretty crazy. Man, I, I definitely don't want that. So I'm just going to go over here and just kind of entertain the life of the mind. And there's a, there's a danger in that to not expect too much of God and say, you know what, I've moved past that. I've moved past expecting anything pretty miraculous from God. Oftentimes we suffer the opposite condition of what the Corinthians suffered. We think that you know, we don't want that to happen because we don't want to be proud. We don't want to be able to say, well, you know, I, I have the gifts of healings. I prophesy, I speak in tongues. We don't want that, and so we move on past that. And there can be a pride in that too. Say, oh, that's, that's all weird and strange. But you know what? We're going to pursue spiritual gifts. I mean, as, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, be eager for these spiritual gifts. Don't be afraid of them. Don't think that these things aren't important for the upbuilding of the church. And don't run from them, but don't be proud about it. And, and know that God... Would love to, to do that for us. Would love to do miraculous things in our midst if we have the heart for it. So we can, we can get more into that at another time. But let me uh, keep moving on here on, on point number four that we see from Paul in verse eight. Give thanks to God for his sustaining grace. Give thanks for God's sustaining grace. Look at verse eight. Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? See, point three is reiterated here, but dives a little deeper. See, when you're downcast with your sin or when you look at other people and you are frustrated with their sin and you're like, man, this is a really slow process, Matt. The slowness of your growth in Christ's likeness. You look at your life, you're like, man, I have struggled with this for decades, really. But you need to remember, both for yourself and for other people, that it's God himself is the one who sustains you. And God has good purposes in his timing for what he's doing in their life and even more so what he's doing in your life. God is the one who sustains. And as you pursue him in his time, he'll reveal more of himself to you. And you will see greater vistas of his glory if you're if you're engaged with him like that. For he who has ears, let him hear. But ultimately, we look to that last day when Christ returns and when he reveals himself in that resplendent glory. That's our ultimate hope and joy. God himself. And that's what they had lost sight of. And that's what you and I can lose sight of when we start to think that you and I are are the problems. Really, it's a it's a lack of a vision of who God is and what he has for you. And then lastly, what do we see here in verse nine? Give thanks to God for his faithfulness to keep his word. Don't just notice here that Paul isn't just giving thanks in general. He's giving thanks to God for them. He's giving thanks to God that he has done these things in their life. He's giving thanks to God. 
To God for sustaining grace, to God for his faithfulness to keep his word. Give thanks to God for his faithfulness to keep his word. See, God is the one who enriches in every way. And in this way, then, our view of people is wrapped up in our view of God, too. The way we're going to grow in love for each other, friends, is to work to see God's work in each other's lives. To celebrate what he's doing every day in our lives. To draw attention to it, to remind each other of this abounding grace. So where, where you're prone to, to be criti- uh, criticize someone or to judge someone or to think in your heart that you're better than them, let's just call it like it is. I want you to give thanks for that person. I want you to, instead of being content with saying they get on my last nerve, I want you to pray for them. I want you to say, God, thank you that you have called them. You have, you have sanctified them in Christ Jesus. You have set them apart. You sent your son, Jesus, to die for them. Thank you, God, for them. Thank you for putting them in my life. Because when that happens, then we begin to see that the difficulties and the difficult people in our lives were really meant for us in God's kindness. Because what God's doing is he's shaving off all of the rough ends in our own lives. He's making us more like Jesus. Right? That's what the difficulties are supposed to do. That's what difficult people are, are, are God's intention. They're, they're God's tool in your life. Because you, you remember the, the girl that I mentioned? The girl that I mentioned with, with, the, with the soccer team? She caused me a lot of pain. She caused me a lot of difficulty. She caused me a lot of stress. And she caused me a lot of fear. It's not Ashley. She, she, we didn't know each other yet. But this girl, she, she caused a lot of pain to, for me. You see, as we look at our passage... It's all related to our perspective, though, isn't it? That's the difference. Paul is able to give thanks to God because he understands he has a different perspective on this situation with the Corinthians. They're no longer a hindrance to him getting what he wants. And so you and I have to have a perspective change when it relates to difficulties and difficult people. Realizing that God has placed people in our lives to train us, to teach us. And to cause us to press deeper into God. That's the point of this. It's a perspective change. Because that girl, that difficult girl, was actually the coach of my soccer team. So she pushed me. She prodded me. She caused a lot of pain by running suicides all day. And you know what? I became a better person because of it. In the same way, if you can see that person who's causing you difficulty in your life... As a trainer and as a coach, for you to be more like Jesus, that changes everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for difficulties in our lives. We thank you for difficult people in our lives. We thank you for the individuals in this church that you have called and that you have sanctified and that you have poured out abundantly your The gift of your spirit. And so, Father, we we pause and we reflect on on all of these things where we're prone to to shun or to distance ourselves from people that are difficult in our lives. We pray that you would help us to draw near to them, even as you have drawn near to us in Jesus. Father, help us not to be stagnant and weak in our faith. We pray instead that we would find that we are strengthened by looking to you, by giving thanks to you for all of these things in our lives. 
And we pray that day by day, moment by moment, difficulty by difficulty, we would look, think, and sound a whole lot more like Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.